You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 10 is where we find ourselves tonight. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. Feel free to grab one, and you can go to uh, a Bible app or even online, Exodus chapter 10. We study through the ESV Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, learning a lot of stuff. This is the third sort of message in the series, The Plagues, uh, and we'll be covering two chapters tonight, two chapters. So we'll be reading a lot, um, and tonight we're going to be actually covering um, the plague number eight, which is the locust, plague nine, darkness, And then we're going to look at just a little bit the prediction of Plague 10, this Passover, which we're going to dig deep into, which is the death of the firstborn sons. Now, let us set up this uh, time with this this quote that I came across. Uh, Chuck Swindoll has written a lot of Bible commentary, man of God, and teaches a seminary. He said about these 10 plagues, the plagues were not afterthoughts. So what we're studying is designed, it's planned, it's something from God. Uh, Flexive reactions are last-minute exceptions in God's plan. In fact, they serve as part of his deliberate strategy. What we're going to be studying and what we have been studying was a specific thing God was doing in history at this moment for such a time as that. It had a purpose. It had a plan. And I hope that you know that you are alive right now and God has a purpose and he has a plan. He is doing some things in this earth like we just sang about, like we study about and we know. um, And he is alive and well. And there is a purpose and a plan not only for the individual uh, work in the world that he's doing, but our individual lives, even together as Redemption Church. Even as you're listening to this message and you've come with whatever's on your mind, man, we pray and we ask the Lord to use these messages and to speak to you. And there is a specific plan that he wants to do tonight in your heart. Be open to how he is speaking to you. Um, and, you know, you may say, well, why, why would God judge this nation so fiercely? Because if, if you haven't noticed or uh, gone along, these are plagues. These are crazy things, frogs and blood in the water and um, death of animals. I mean, there's all this different stuff. Why would God send these plagues? And I think the Bible actually addresses it, something we've actually talked about and studied. But if you go a few chapters back, when Moses has his first calling with the Lord and the Lord's explaining these things to him, through prophecy, he says this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. He, he understands where Pharaoh's at and how he responds. So he says, I will stretch out my hand and will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. God tells us that he wanted to free his people to worship him, but he had to display his mighty hand or what we would know as power, these plagues and miracles to free his people from Egypt and this God, Pharaoh. Now we know he's not the true God, but Pharaoh doesn't know that and we're going to find out tonight. He keeps on thinking he is God. Just like sometimes in our lives, we think that we are God, but we really aren't. And we need God to intervene and come on in and say, hey, let me teach you some wisdom. Let me just show you what I can do. 
God not only wanted to teach his people to know who he was and to serve him, but he wanted the nations to know as well. And so he's going to do this through these plagues, and they're chapter 7 through 12, and there is this common phrase repeated over and over and over again. Last time I hinted to it and made known of it, but it's this phase, so you shall know that I am the Lord. He does a plague, and he's doing this, and he says, I want you to know because I want you to know that I am the Lord. Or another word would be Yahweh the mighty one, God almighty, that he is greater than all other gods because Egyptians worship many false gods, many idols. In fact, Pharaoh asked Moses when Moses first approached Pharaoh to let his people go in Exodus chapter five, verse two, he said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? What is this God that you're talking? I worship my own gods, the sun God and this God and that God. And so this is why these plagues are significant because God is showing Pharaoh, showing us, and showing the nations he is greater than any other God. And Exodus 12.12 actually says that these plagues were to judge the false gods. They were to judge demons of Egypt at this time that all would worship God and not them. So these plagues serve as a testimony to all the greatness of God is. And we're gonna find out when Moses gets freed from Pharaoh, like this prophecy will become true, in Exodus chapter 15, 11, he sings this song and he says this, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And the answer we know is no one. There's no one like our God. He is mighty, he is powerful, and he proves that there is no one or no thing that matches the greatness of our God, and our God deserves all of our praise our entire life, and he proves to be God over and over again because he says something and he proves it. Just like Jesus said he was going to die for our sin and three days later, rise again. He actually gives us this mighty hand or power. And we're told in Exodus 10, 2, tonight, that these plagues were to be told to the next generation so that they would know. The next generation, our youth retreat, it's important to invest in the next generation. But it wouldn't just be the next generation, it would be the next generation and the next generation. And you and I are included in that. These plagues serve as a great reminder for us all so that we would know that God is God and we are not. Amen? So let's finish strong. We got more plagues to look at. A lot more text, two chapters. I'm gonna pray briefly and then we're gonna jump into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you again that we can pray, that we can think about just the big picture of these plagues, but yet even dive in and see another aspect. As we've been going through these plagues, we've been taking different aspects. I pray that you would help me to communicate some of these truths tonight in a way that is simple, that is clear, that is powerful, and people will understand more of who you are. By the end of it, Lord, let us worship you. Uh, God, let us surrender to you and let us walk in humility before our Lord. Uh, we thank you, God, for being here. We thank you for your spirit uh, teaching us on the room and even using this to, for online. God, we just pray, Lord, that we would continue to stay on task pursuing you, not idols, not other things, but pursuing you, Lord, and then proclaiming you to the world. Give us evangelistic opportunities this week. Help us to be fed and equipped through your word right now. And Spirit of God, speak to us and minister to us so we can be sent out, your missionaries, your ambassadors, for your glory and for your good. It is in your powerful and precious name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Exodus chapter 10, plague number eight, the locusts. 
locusts, and uh, it's going to be verses 1 through 20. It's a longer section, uh, but we'll cover it as we always do. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that they may tell in the hearing of your son and of the, your grandson, there it is that generational truth, how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians, and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. That you may know that I am the Lord. It's over and over and over again in these plagues, in these texts. So Moses in verse 3, and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. That's a lot and that they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the fields. That is a reference to plague number seven, where the hail and the fire fell from heaven, God sent, and it just messed up a lot of their land, but there was still some green left. And he says in verse six, uh, they shall cover the lesson of land, verse six, and they shall fill your houses and, and, and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Now, verse seven, Pharaoh's servants get involved. They say to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do, uh, do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So they're giving counsel to Pharaoh. They're realizing that God is greater. So Moses and Aaron, verse 8, were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Meaning, who's all going to go with you? What, what, what do you need? Who's going to do this? Moses said, Well, we will go with our young and our old meaning everyone. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. God wants everything of us, not just a simple uh, one-sided aspect of our lives. But he said to them, the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, the answer is no. Are you crazy? I'm not going to let everyone go. Look, you have, have some evil purpose in mind. No, Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Well, then the Lord said to Moses, because he's not going to handle that, he said, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts, and the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such as dense uh, swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, 
through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, because of this, forgive my sin, please, only this time, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove his death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. And not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel Go. I know it's a lot of text. It was 20 verses. There's a little bit more uh, deep stuff in there, but let's break it down and let's talk about this plague. Plague number eight, the locusts. God is continuing to humiliate Pharaoh. He's continually uh, continuing to uh, strike against the Egyptian gods, and the locusts are now devastating and destroying the land. Verse 15 says that all the green in the land now is just gone. It's over. One commentary said this, This time it was an assault on the gods of the fields. Many Egyptians depended on Min, the patron of the gods of crops, or Isis, the goddess of life, who prepared flax for clothes. Nepri, the god of grain, or another god, the guardian of the fields. And Sinahum, I don't know how to pronounce that, the protector against the pesk. These were all literal gods, right, that failed miserably. They didn't provide or protect their people. The Egyptians worshiped these gods, but God is saying, if you worship something else, it will fail miserably. And these are what these plagues are meant to do. God was again declaring that he was God over these idols, which I think we've done a pretty good job covering sort of this sort of aspect clearly. But what I want to do tonight with this plague is highlight how God was declaring he was God, not only over these gods, but over Pharaoh, okay? Because Pharaoh thought he was a God as well. Pharaoh thought he can control his life. And God was proving to Pharaoh and to us that we are only humans and not God, that he is greater than anyone. Now, verse one tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could show these signs among them. These plagues were a direct attack against Pharaoh and the hardness of his heart. And we see this language throughout all these plagues. And you may say, well, that's not really fair. Like if God just hardened his heart, then he couldn't really repent, right? Yes and no, because it was Pharaoh first, as we've read in many of these plagues before, that first hardened his heart. And then because he was walking in pride, the Lord said, well, I'm allowing you to have your heart be hardened. I'm going to let you have what you want. Sometimes it's a very scary and dangerous thing to get what your flesh wants, to just be God. And God was actually allowing Pharaoh to have what was in his heart, which was pride, which was pride, a hardening of a heart towards God and his ways of what he wanted. Because God had clearly said, this is what I want. Let my people go. We hear it over and over again. Pharaoh was like, no. And because Pharaoh's pride, he was reaping all of the consequences through these plagues upon him and the nation. Sort of like how Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pharaoh needed a fall, but he needed to be humbled before the Lord. I like what David Guzik said about this point. He said, here the Lord says that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yet in Exodus 9, 34, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Both were true. 
One does not deny the other. In hardening Pharaoh's heart, God allowed him to have what he sinfully desired and a hard heart against the Lord and his people. And so these plagues were coming to Pharaoh. He was in direct contact and it was affecting him and his people. And it was this thing of pride because he felt that he was God. He was in control. He could do it. Or like how James 4, 6 would say, God opposes the pride but gives grace to the humble. Now, verse three, God asked uh, Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? So we even see that, that God identifies the pride and lets him know you have, you have pride, you're hardening your heart, you're not listening. And in verse five, God warns Pharaoh that the locust will eat everything that is green. Because you do not listen, there will be consequences. He's giving a merciful warning again, but Pharaoh doesn't listen. So much so that in verse 7, even his servants recognize this warning and warn Pharaoh. Did you notice that? They say, well, listen, God is, is greater than all these gods. He's done all this thing. Pharaoh, would you please relent? Would you submit? Would you, man, just humble yourself? And so they give Pharaoh this advice, but pride blinds us. And it blinded Pharaoh for this reason. Because in verse 7, it says, Pharaoh did not yet understand. He didn't understand Yet that God was God. He still had in his heart one that was puffed up, one that was exalting himself. Or like Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. He wasn't walking in wisdom. He was walking in pride. And it was going to be his disgrace because God was now proving again over and over to Pharaoh that he needed to walk in humility to gain wisdom. So in verse 8, Pharaoh seems to listen because he calls Moses and Aaron back. But in his pride, this would cause him to bargain with God. Because he says, well, who's going to go with you? And they're like, everyone. The sons and daughters, the livestock, the, the men, the women, the children, the young and the old. And he's like, no, 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 only take them in. Imagine you making a deal with the Almighty God. This is what Pharaoh has the audacity to do in this moment. He's bargaining with God. It's so sad because don't we bargain with God sometimes? Well, God, I mean, I'll, just, I'll, I'll repent tomorrow. Or maybe just a little bit of sin. I mean, I can, can I do this? And maybe you could do that. And we can, oh, I know that you said this. But God, what about what I want? And we just bargain in our pride, in our arrogance, as if we as humans can bargain with God. God is not equal with us. He is creator. We are creation. And God was having none of this negotiation because in verse 12, it says, okay, Moses and Aaron, raise up your staff. Let's bring in the locust. He ain't learning. And in verse 15, it says, and no green thing, meaning a significance of life, of prosperity, of blessing remained. The great fall so Pharaoh again appears to repent, but only with words. He didn't want to submit to God. And he didn't just want to, he just wanted to get rid of the consequences. And we've been looking and looked over again, like what is godly submission? What is godly sorrow? We need to repent. We need to turn from our sin and turn to God. We can't just go and just say, well, I just want the blessing or I just want the things of the Lord or I just don't want the consequences. No, we go to God for who he is and have to trust that he is a good God and will provide for us as we humble ourselves. Proverbs also says he gives honor, riches and glory to those that walk in humility. 
But if we don't walk in humility, God's not going to honor that. And he's going to put us in our place. Because in order to receive God's grace, you have to walk in humility. You have to walk in humility before God, and you have to be fully surrendered to what he has said in his ways. Again, David Guzik said, pride was at the heart of Pharaoh's problem. He simply didn't want to give in to God. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but haven't you ever wrestled with God just not wanting to give in? And just, just, it's just a difficult situation. Your flesh and the spirit, you just don't want to give in. And I'm just here to tell you, it's easier and better if you give in sooner than later because the plagues will just keep on coming. The consequences will just keep on coming. So God would ask Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? But isn't this a question for us as well as humans, thinking sometimes that we can be like a Pharaoh or God and control things? I wrote this down, something for us to ponder as we study this plague. Are we walking in humility or pride? Are we walking in humility or pride? Proverbs 29, 23 says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in the spirit will obtain Are you walking in humility or pride? Recently, I watched a great message by a pastor friend growing up with him. He's pastoring in um, California, Tim Chaddock, and just love his Bible teaching. And he did an hour-long message from Proverbs about this subject. And he had these formative questions to help you see if you were walking in pride or humility. But I'd share it with you. It was really good. He says, pride says, God, I want things my way. But humility says, God, I want things your way. Sometimes it's hard to identify. Am I walking in pride or humility? Proverbs 13, 13 would address that issue. Well, pride says, I know this already. But humility says, I need this again. When we come into a Bible study, maybe even Exodus, you've known that story. Are you coming in saying, I, I need to know this. I need to be reminded of God's truth again. And one, or, or you say, I already know that story. Plagues, man, why is he spending so much time in the plagues? And why did he read the, all 20 verses? It's like literally saying the same thing over and over and over again. Are you walking in pride or humility? You may want to read Proverbs 15, 31 for that. Pride says only other people need to deal with this, uh, deal with their faults. It's all the other people. Humility says I need to deal with my own faults. Proverbs 28, 13. Pride says, why don't I have more? Why don't I have more? While humility says, why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? God, you're so good. You bless me so much. Pride says, I am at the center. Proverbs 21, 4. Humility says, God is at the center. Proverbs 22, 4. May God help us to walk in humility, to identify, to not be blinded by our flesh and the pride of life. Because we can see that through these plagues, how dangerous and damaging pride truly is. And this is a subject that God is dealing with Pharaoh, but also times he deals with us in these ways, doesn't he? Well, plague number nine, darkness. It continues to go on. Verses 21 through 29. 
It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt, a thick darkness, something that you feel. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Verse 23 says, They did not see one another, nor did they anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel, not the Egyptians, but the pe- God's people, had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your, your, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain. Now, why is he saying this? Because remember the other plague when their herds and flocks died? They were in Gresh, uh, Goshen, I think it was pronounced. And then uh, the Israelite herds and flocks didn't die. And so he's saying, okay, now you can just take everyone. But don't take your property. Don't take your riches. I just need a little. You can have almost everything, God. Just that little thing I still want not surrender to. Well, that didn't really fly with God. Verse 25 says, but Moses said, you must also Be crazy. No, he didn't say that. You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. We need to be equipped. We need to be fully equipped for everything that God's called us to do. Don't let the enemy deceive you, thinking that you can just give half-hearted of your life to the Lord. You need to have everything and all the gifts and talents he's given you to serve him, because you don't know what you're going to face. You don't know how he's going to prepare you. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Darkness. True darkness. Pitch black. They felt it. It was a scary thing for three Days. I think we forget as believers, as Christians, how scary it is for the world, unbelievers, to walk in darkness in these days. Don't you? Think about that. These are evil, crazy times. Even Christians are saying, like, how do we even reason and deal with this in the worldview? And yet we, as people of God, have light, have the Holy Spirit. What about the unbeliever? that can't see straight, that doesn't have any hope, that doesn't know how to forgive their sins, or be satisfied, or come and even pray to the Lord. The text says that the Egyptians, which is a a picture of the world, were left in dark while the Israelites, God's people, had light. And we need to not forget that there are people that are in the dark world that need the the hope and light and love of Jesus. And God has sent us to bring them light, to evangelize, to proclaim God has given us his word as a lamp into our feet that guides us, Psalm 119 says. And he has given us his spirit, which illuminates our lives with light, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. And as God's people, we need to walk in light as God is in light, meaning walking in righteousness and being a testimony to the world. As you walk in light, you are a testimony. As the Israelites lived in light in this moment, don't you think that people noticed? And people notice your life. They notice if you're walking for the Lord. 
Like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.11, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And we expose darkness, not even sometimes by doing, but just being. They were just for God's people. And this is just a favor of God. Don't forget, you would just have the favor of God. You don't always have to do something or say the right words. You could just be one that is God's chosen person, a beloved son and daughter, one that accepts and receives the grace of God, is filled with the Spirit, and God just simply uses your life as you just worship Him. People notice it. People see it. They're reading our lives. And so God allowed Israel, and He allows us to have light even in the midst of great darkness. Oh man, I know that we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. But is there a reason why God would allow his people to go through these plagues as well? He's guarding from the wrath, but yet they're still in the world, but not of the world, aren't they? Jesus prayed that we would be in the world, but not of the world. And so they're still, we're still as Christians right now gonna go through hard times. We're gonna go through stuff that is just crazy and it's dark, but we have God's light and his love to live. As the world today claims to be very spiritual, it's a very popular thing. Everyone is very spiritual and has uh, different ways and even religions to be enlightened to live this life. That's a philosophy of the world. We have to recognize and proclaim that Yahweh is the only true light. We have to say he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the greater light the world needs, and his light can live in man. Jesus would say, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, but whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's so important that we know this and that we invite those that don't know Christ to have light and to have life in Jesus, to understand and know these things. Now, one more thing I want to bring to your attention sort of as we close out these plagues, sort of thinking about all these nine and even 10. In plague number nine, did you notice God did not give a warning? He just did it. There have been times when he warns. Plague number eight, he warned. Pharaoh bargained, all this different stuff. Okay, you didn't listen. Out of his mercy and love, he gives mercy and love. And he warns people for their sin to repent. But then there are times when he just doesn't warn. He just lets you, allows you to just have the consequences of your sin. You see, in plague one and two, in plague four and five, in plague seven and eight, God would tell Moses to warn Pharaoh. He would just say, warn him, tell him these plagues are coming, show mercy to him that he could have a chance to repent. But in plague three, six, and nine, don't want to confuse anyone with the math, all right? There was no warning Double the amount of warnings, but yet God was just going to do what he was going to do. And sometimes I think we, we, we almost expect God to just give us all these warnings when God tells us, he warns us, but yet if we're just going to act like a fool, we're going to get the consequences of a fool. This is like a no-brainer. This does not mean that the enemy's after us or God doesn't love us. This means if you walk in sin, sometimes there's natural progression of just consequences of sin. He's given us light. He knows that he wants us to repent. Now, of course, in these 10 plagues, uh, there are warnings and there are non-warnings. We must understand that when God judges sin, he's already given us plenty of chances to repent. 
We shouldn't have to wait until our deathbed to repent and live for the Lord. God does not want that for us. He wants us to be a little bit like, okay, a little bit of discipline or chastising or, or discipline to say, okay, we want to live for the Lord. One commentary said this, we must never think God is unfair when he does not show mercy. If someone were totally fair, they would never show mercy. Thank God that he gives us chances and he warns us and he warns us and he warns us. But after a while, if we just walk in sin, we will be judged. He is slow to anger, but there is the wrath of the Lord. There is anger from God. And aren't you glad that God gives second chances? Thank God that he does. But this is why the Bible says we're to repent while we have a chance, our last breath. Today is the day of salvation. Meaning, don't wait until tomorrow. You may not have another chance to repent. You may not have a warning. We need to understand these things. Well, Exodus 11, the final plague is threatened. Exodus 11, it's where it's not even like a warning and it's not even like, it's just a statement. This is coming. This is the end. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. Like he prophesied over and over again. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people. Remember, he wants, he wants everyone to hear this now, that they, may, they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her uh, neighbor for silver and gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Obviously, because he's the prophet of God and these things are happening, these are real. And so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been or never will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know the, uh, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God wants us to know Him, know how He works, know His ways. Verse 8 says, And all these, their servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And so Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The final plague threatened. In this plague, I was reading one commentary said that there was no word about asking Pharaoh, let my people go anymore. It was just a direct order. It was just God proclaiming it. And there was only a statement that it was coming, that it was coming. There was no bartering. This is showing the finality of the plagues, this 10th plague. God was now going to fulfill his word as he declared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, but also chapter 4, verse 22 through 23, where he specifically says he's going to take out the firstborn of the Egyptians. And he would not only 
warned Pharaoh and wanted Pharaoh to know this, that he was coming. But he tells Moses, hey, prepare the people. Say this out loud so the people know. So God told Moses in verse 2 of this chapter, speak now in the hearing of the people, meaning the Jewish people, that they may ask, these people may ask, every man and his neighbor and his, every woman of her neighbor for silver and for gold or for bounty and jewelry. God wanted his people ready. He wanted his people prepared for this, for this final judgment, and he wanted them to have treasures. So they would have treasures for the new life for the life to come, for the freedom they were about to experience. And I was thinking, what a beautiful picture we have in God's word for us today. Because he has declared his ways and his judgments so that we would know him and that we would be prepared, wouldn't we? Able to store up treasures in heaven. As 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 through 13 talk about, that the word of God equips us for this life and the life to come that he inspired this living word to pierce our hearts, that we could walk in the truth and we could know and prepare and be prepared for what is to come and store treasures up in heaven. So Moses then explains what will take place as the final judgment to free God's people. Moses already knew this because God had mentioned to him a couple of times. And in verse four through eight, he explains this. God was going to kill many of the firstborn sons in Egypt. And it says, from Pharaoh's sons, so the highest of heights, to the slaves, the lowest of lows. It didn't matter. One commentary said, God regarded Israel as his firstborn, his favored people. If Egypt refused to release his, God's firstborn, then God required the firstborn of Egypt as a penalty and as judgment. Remember how many times Pharaoh would be warned. Remember, Pharaoh could have let God's people go. And from the very beginning, like plague two, he's like, but do it tomorrow or the next day. It's crazy. It's almost like when we have like dealing with addictions even, it's like, I want to be healed. I want to give my life to the Lord, but not right now though, later. And God's saying, well, how much time do you need? How much suffering do you need? Sometimes I know, especially in Delray, knowing, counseling, being with people that are in the recovery scene, they need a lot of suffering in order to actually turn. It just takes a lot. And God allows that sometimes. And he's allowing this right now so that Pharaoh would repent and humble himself and turn. Because he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He loves humanity. He wants us to repent. And this event or this last plague is known as the Passover. It's known as the Passover, and we're going to do a deep dive as a church into this study of the Passover. Next week, I asked a good friend of ours, Pastor Pilgrim Benham, over in the west coast of Florida to teach the Passover, text uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 32, July 24th. Then I'll teach the last part of chapter 12 and verse 13, this exodus, where they institutionalize the Passover and the significance of what a meal is and those type of things. And then we're going to have Pastor Robin, Friday, August 5th, actually teach us more about Christ and the Passover as we gather and learn about the herbs and what the unleavened bread and all these things mean. Just wanted to give a little variety as this is sort of a, a long section. It's a very important section that would repeat it over and over and over in Scripture. Uh, the Exodus that we read about 
how God frees his people is actually a picture of our salvation. Because Jesus would meet with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think it's Matthew chapter 17. I think so. And actually they would speak of the great exodus where Jesus would be the Lamb of God, like John 1.29, John the Baptist said, freeing his people. And there's a lot of pictures and illustrations that we're going to dig deep into. And so, Len, just saying that, it just pumps me up. Sign up. Let us know. we got to order food if you want to be a part of the Seder meal, if you want to uh, come and study these things. It's going to be a great time. And so we're going to do a deep dive in that later. But tonight, here's where I want to like land. Rather than going into some of those illustrations, because it does talk a little bit about it, I want us to see the greater picture just in chapter 11. The theme is greater judgment. It's coming. Great judgment is coming from the Lord, and God warns people of it. And God has warned us of a great and final judgment at the end of the age, hasn't he? He has told us as his people that judgment and the wrath of God is coming, that there is a heaven and a hell, that he will make every wrong right, and we are to prepare so that we would live righteous lives based off of his word and store up treasures in heaven. 2 Peter 3.10 puts it this way, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and be dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Oftentimes we don't like to look at this area or aspect of it, but it is by God's loving mercy that he warns us that to prepare and to repent, to humble ourselves, to allow him to be the king of our lives and rule and reign, and not for us to walk in pride, because he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We as a people should believe that Jesus is going to come back to rule and reign. And we should want to live for that moment, but also allow that moment to help us live right now. We should make sure that we are worshiping God for who he is, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he does a great work to free us to walk in his ways. But we still, as Christians, could walk in humility or pride. And we need to know that we can worship false gods or idols. And we could put things above God. And when we do, we're going to suffer some consequences. Because in this text, he says, there will be great weeping like no other. And when you walk in pride, worshiping even other idols and denounce Jesus as Lord, there will be great weeping for your life. Not just here, but for all eternity. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east, and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus even himself spoke a lot about his return and coming, that he would judge the living and the dead. Let us not forget that Jesus is returning, and the Bible says that now we are to stay alert, we are to stay awake, or we are to be ready for that return, to meet Jesus face to face. And for you and I, we do not need to fear the coming of the Lord because he has taken away our sins. When we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus being the lamb of God, this true Passover lamb, he passes over our sin because God placed the wrath of God on Jesus and we're saved by his blood, his sacrifice, his body. And now we live for him, preparing and asking for him to give us grace to walk in humility. And so 
as we take communion to close out our service, oftentimes we remember what he has done. But if you look at 1 Corinthians, it actually says, not just for what he has done, but do this until he returns. Let's look ahead. Let's think about that and ponder that and pray through that and just allow the Lord to process us and purify us as his people. Because we need to continue to walk in humility before the Lord. And just as the people, just as Moses was told the people, hey, speak this stuff out loud so the people can have a bounty or jewelry or an abundant life. If you continue to put your eyes on the Lord, not only what he has done, what he is doing and what he will do, you will have a fruitful, bountiful life because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we could submit to him in humility, have our sins forgiven, and those that love his appearing, he'll return, not with wrath, but with a reward. And he gives us his spirit, sealing us so we can have confidence now that we will go and be in his presence, heaven, for all eternity. And with the joy set before him, Jesus made this way. And so the Bible says as often as we get together to take communion and to remember these things until he comes. And so let's do that. Let's just ponder and have the Holy Spirit give us application and how we can live for him now. Jesus, we just thank you so much that we can partake in communion together, remembering that you're coming back again. I pray, Lord, that if there are those that need to repent in this moment and turn to you, that they would today. Maybe even those that never repented and turned to you, that they would turn from their sin and turn to you for forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for that aspect of communion, that we can know that your blood was shed for us, that your body was broken for us, that we can have final forgiveness. But we also understand, Lord, that you didn't just cause us to live in the past, but you want us to live for you in the moment. For today is a day of salvation that, Lord, you want us to respond to your love. We love because you first loved us. You want to empower us to be a gospel witness to this world. You want us to live for eternity. And so, Lord, may we be refined, may we be equipped as we, in your word, as we're coming together as a church to pursue you, but also to proclaim you until you come back again. And I just pray, Lord, that in this moment of surrender, in this moment of time of response and reflection, the Spirit, you would give us application of what that looks like. And you would allow us to continue to be a posture of prayer and enjoy your presence as you speak and minister to us in this way. We bless you tonight and we thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.